Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This Navy veteran walked off the ramp on Extortion 17. It's a flight that went down, helicopter flight that was shot down in Afghanistan, and his story is remarkable. Uh, his transition back into the world is one you want to hear. I met this veteran on the Washington Bridge after a 31-mile ruck. He'll talk to you about that in his interview. His name is Christopher Cockrell. He's also a fellow podcaster. You are going to enjoy this episode. And I appreciate you for listening to this again. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light them up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero is a Navy veteran whom I met with his wife Jordan a little over three years ago on the Washington Bridge at about six o'clock in the morning as we were ending a 31-mile hike in remembrance of some uh, extortion 17 that went down with all hands lost. And uh, it was kind of interesting. We had been hiking all night. We just kicked up a conversation. And Christopher Cockrell and his wife, Jordan, we became friends. And we just we talked about all kinds of things. Of course, we were tired heading into Arlington. But it was a great conversation. And and at that time, Jordan wasn't pregnant. Since then, she's had a child. So Chris has become a father. But anyhow, nine-year veteran, U.S. Navy. Half that time was spent with Dev Grew and the special operations guys. Uh, Christopher was the comms guy that would carry the radio and make sure everything was running smoothly or as smooth as could be. Done some time out of the country in those combat zones and He's living up in Virginia now, and I'm just humbled and honored to have him here on Straight Out of Combat. And I know he'll tell you, we've been trying to do this, I think, for about a year and a half now. Uh, of course, he has his own show. We'll talk a little bit about that. But welcome to the show, Chris. John, I'm so happy to be here. It's an absolute honor. We we definitely did meet on that ruck, and it's a, it's a very difficult ruck. It's 31 miles. It's all night. It's about 12 hours of rucking. And you meet some great people, and as we all know, when you meet somebody in that kind of element, when you're you're just suffering through something with somebody, you, you connect really well. And we did; we had a good conversation. Uh, and I think, yeah, it was about three years ago. Now, my wife did it, and then, yeah, she became pregnant, and uh, now we have the kid, and the Navy's done with, and I'm doing some other things, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But yeah, being on your show finally after all that time, it's been a long time coming. Happy to be here. Oh man, it, it was fun though, and, and you're right; we were tired and. It was so cool because we were just jamming still. I know we were all excited. We were, we could smell victory. And uh, and what a great thing, you know, to be able to hike 31 miles for those people to whom we lost on that mission. And, you know, remember we would stop like every hour and we would read a bio and it really just hit home. But, you know, tell us about, you know, let's get right to it, Chris. Tell us about your household and, um, you know, where you grew up, how you made it to the Navy, who your mentors were. Did you have military in the background? Yeah. Tell us about your, your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Colorado at a small town called Woodland Park, which is about 8,500 feet up in the mountains. We called it the city above the clouds because it was always quite literally above the clouds. If it was a bad day, you just drive up there and it would literally be above the clouds and it would be sunny. So I grew up there with my family, my mother, my father. And my brother, who's about five and a half years younger than me, it was never my intention. It was never in the plan to go into the military. However, my father was drafted into the Vietnam War, and his father actually served in the Navy as well. So even with my father and grandfather having served in the military, it was, it was not really a plan for me. Now, I will say that my neighbor was a Green Beret growing up, and I his his children were some of my best friends, and they still are to this day. And we played with all of his old fatigues growing up there in the forest in those mountains. And I just I fell in love with that aspect, running around the woods in camouflage as a kid. And I think that had a huge influence on my path. So flash forward, I, I didn't join 
until I was 22. I turned 22 in boot camp. And the way I fell into the Navy was a conversation with my dad, who I've already mentioned. And I didn't have a lot of, I didn't really have a plan at all. I was going to college, didn't enjoy it, didn't know what I wanted to be. And I eventually dropped out after two short years, if that. And I was very, very unaware of my surroundings and what I wanted to do. And I lived a very selfish life. I talked to my dad. He was one of my mentors. He asked kind of who I had mentored. And my my father was a mentor early on. And he, of course, made my father sensed a little misdirection. I, I think we all have that, you know, growing up. We Absolutely. Do. We, you know, not until I'm 32 now. So it's been 10 years. And I just got out last year. And now I'm I'm really defining who I am in my 30s. And I want to continue to do that. But going back to my story of, of why I joined, gosh, I did everything. I was a busboy. I was a waiter. I was a host. I did all these things in a restaurant. And I just really had no clue what I wanted to do, having dropped out from college. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that my dad stepped in at the time. It was, I thought, being a naive, self-centered kid still, I thought it was one of the worst ideas and worst plans. And, and when I got in, I thought it was one of the first worst decisions that I ever made in my life. First year of the military, I absolutely disliked it, but I think it's because I went from having complete and total freedom post high school for four years to being in the military. So go figure, right? No, uh, no, my- no, that's true though. You know, you go from all that freedom and I think you know, you raise a very good point here. I think there is a time anybody that joins the military that might think, you know, did you know, did I make a mistake? You know, because I went in at twenty six and <laughs> I had been through college so, yeah. and yeah, and I was like, holy cow, is this really what I want to be doing? But, but I hear yeah, you. Yeah. So, so it's what, totally what, different. yeah, it is. And what, can you point out anything that happened in Navy boot camp that sticks out in your mind, Chris, that you go, holy cow, I'm here. This is it. Yeah. Well, I, I know things have changed a little bit. Like I said, I, I went in 10 years ago, so I was in for nine years so when I went in in 2009, you couldn't have cell phones. I, I think that might be a thing now. I'm not entirely sure. But I think just being completely ostracized from my former life was a rude awakening and not having any control of my schedule whatsoever and no privacy. Because as much as I am a social person, I love talking to people. I think like a lot of people, you also enjoy your privacy and you enjoy a little bit of alone time. So I think it was... Honestly, it was probably one of the first or second days when the, in the Navy, they call it the P days, your processing days. And it was very early on in those P days where I realized I, I at the time, I, I thought I just was living a bad dream and I, I couldn't believe what had happened. But it, it got better quicker. We had uh, what they call our, our recruit division petty officers. And I eventually became one of those after like the first three got fired <laughs> and I almost got fired, too. But I ended up um, graduating as my division leader. And that was a defining moment because I went from living this nightmare that I thought at the time to actually having some responsibility in my damn life for once and taking care of 76 other sailors, 76 other civilians like me that didn't know what the heck they were getting into either. So that was uh, one of the first pivotal moments in my career. And it was honestly just a crescendo from there of being in those kind of moments. And of course, when I got to my first command, which it's a completely different story, which we might get into as well. But I think having the background that I had being on my own for four years as opposed to going in straight out of high school. So, you know, like I said, being on my own, being at free will and then getting thrown into, you know, you're going to do what I want when I want and you have no privacy. But then being forced into that leadership position did I really start finding my stride. And, and then that for the first time in my life that I realized that I really wanted to be helping people. And I'm still doing that to this day. That's pretty cool, you know. And and you know, again, that's probably the benefit of going in a little bit older. And I'm glad you pointed that out too. Mm-hmm. That you know, being a little bit older, you do get put in those leadership positions, and 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 you grow up quick, especially in the military, because people's lives are counting on on the mission to be completed. So, where was your when you graduated? Who showed up at your graduation? Yeah. So my father and my mother both showed up and it was, (laughs) it's funny because when you're a kid, you don't want to see your parents really. You just want to be on your own. And that's my life. If you you haven't picked up on that yet, I just wanted to be by myself for a long time and couldn't wait to get out of the house. But they both showed up at my graduation and it was, it was one of the best feelings in my life at the time having graduated that. And of course I was one of the people that just, as they say, went across the street and I stayed on that base um, or a different part of that base for quite a long time. But yeah, they both showed up and it was, it was a great time. Awesome. So 
that you were pretty proud. And so where did you go to your first duty station, Chris, when you when you finally got, you know, got into the regular service? Where, where did you go? Yeah. So my story is a lot different than the typical story. And that is because I came into the Navy as what they call AECF, which is Advanced Electronics Computer Field. And under that field, there are two rates. And rate is, of course, your job in the Navy. And there's either the FC or the ET, which is the fire controlman and the electronics technician. I always thought the fire controlman was a lot cooler. I wanted to be that because you were working on munitions, uh, weaponry on the ships, but you didn't have a choice. So I, by default, just got handed an ET and I thought I got (laughs) shafted, for lack of a better word. And I was pretty upset. Turns out that ET has a lot more opportunity in the entirety of the Navy. Hmm. So I was in training in Great Lakes. So I I joined in September of 09 and I didn't leave until February of 2011. So I was there for about a year and a half, roughly. And if you back up a few months to September of 2010, when I graduated, what is my A school or my electronics technician school? There was a gentleman who was at the time I had no clue what I was about to tell you is, but he was a comms guy as we call him. And he, he was an RTO. He worked at uh, NSWDG or Dev Crew as that comms guy. And he had just come up to Great Lakes to scout individuals that wanted to work at this command. At the time, this is um, pre-UBL raid and all that stuff. So nobody really knew. It wasn't in the news as much. SEALs weren't in the news as much. So even I had no idea what that command was. Right. I just knew, pardon me, I had no idea what the, the command was, but I knew it wasn't a ship. So I just, I went over there and I tried out for it. About 120 kids tried out for it. Uh, about 11 or 12 of them were accepted to get flown down to VB, to Virginia Beach, and try out. And from those 12, four got accepted. I was one of those four. Nice. And uh, it's about five months later, they they cut me orders. So it's like the one command in the Navy that as a, as a support guy or a girl that uh, you have to get cut orders specifically for, you have to try out for. So... I was uh, lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, but take advantage of that luck and absolutely crush it to to be afforded that opportunity to get down there. And at that point, I, I just I really never looked back. And I will say that without a doubt, that those four years that I was at that command as combat support were the most defining years of my entire life. And they took me from that little kid, honestly, even as a 22 year old, looking back, I, I was a kid. And I had completely different priorities. I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. And those were some very defining moments in my life. Some very scared, (laughs) some very stressful moments. And uh, some moments you had mentioned earlier were not only, you know, they're, they're, and then in the military, you know, everybody's lives on the line to an extent for sure. But I I always put a lot closer to the tip of the spear and a lot of occasions and, and being that guy with the antenna on my back, uh, that, that was very defining of me. Like people, if, if, if communications don't work, you can't talk clearly. And people were relying on me, people with a lot greater training and uh, people that know how those individuals get to that command. So a Navy SEAL that gets to that command is not just any Navy SEAL. And I was so lucky enough to be able to walk next to those giants, as I say, and they taught me a lot. And I'm very humbled to work next to them. And they taught me to also be humble. But to be able to support them as combat support was the highlight uh, of my career up until that point, very defining of, of me as a man. That's awesome. And, you know, you, you do grow up quick and, and, and there's, there's things that do happen that stick out in your mind. What would you say, can you think of one thing, another story that, that just really defined what you think it made the greatest impact on you that early part in the Navy? Yeah. I think I was still struggling to find the line between confidence being a good leader and a a slight arrogance about me or not having humility in the things that I was doing. And I remember specifically when I was training for the position of direct support or the NEC, the code of being uh, direct support to be allowed to support them in such a position. It's a really funny story. And there's a few people that were there, but I just had a simple misunderstanding with one of the instructors and he just he drilled me uh, physically for for a long time. Like I, I was I was beat down you know, having to just do a bunch of physical activities that ran me through the course. And I, uh, I realized that day, despite there being a miscommunication and I just misheard him, 
that they saw that I had a, a slight arrogance about me, which I uh, unintentional at the time, but, and we can get into this next part, but I, ha- I had this about me for a reason I had experienced. You mentioned why we, how we met for extortion one seven and walking 31 miles for 31 heroes. And I had just, I had been flown back early from that deployment where I experienced that. And I had come back and I was in a weird mental state. And either way, to answer your question, I was right. coming back to that deployment and uh, they confused some confidence for arrogance because I was out there on my first deployment uh, working with these gentlemen. And I had to have like I went from being a kid to like having to step it the heck up and uh, keep up with this. And, and you know, people depended on me in that manner. So short story is that, um, you know, I got rocked, but I was able to more define my own character and understand like the perception of other people like even though you're trying to put up a tough exterior and trying to define who you are and figure out who you are, I still had to be cognizant of how people perceive that. And I've been, again, working on that ever since. And that's a lot of my answers is always something I've been working on that ever since because I always want to, regardless of how good I think I may be at it now, I try to still maintain that humility and continue to work on it. But that was a defining moment just in a, just in a training environment post-deployment. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, perceptions count for a lot you know and a lot of times the rough exterior can come out in different ways and there's there are always reasons behind it you know again thanks for sharing that and and so when you were when you were in that was in afghanistan right mm-hmm. yeah so you mentioned i have a podcast i actually made a whole entire i rocked my brain for weeks if i wanted to share my experience but i was the so i shared my experience on my podcast but i was the last man so let me tell a little bit of story. So I was, like I said, I was the rookie comms guy. I was the FNG, as they say. And what I would do is I would run out to the helicopters and I would load the crypto onto the birds. And um, I would just go out there before them. And then I would also drive the bus for all of the guys to the bird. And when they went out on their missions, that was me. All right. So um, this this was a, a mission that I just, just like any other night where I, I drove out there and I loaded the crypto on the bird. And, uh, I, I got off as they were, as they were getting on the bird. So I was uh, the last person off, off that particular bird. And, hmm. and it took me a long time to share that. I don't think a lot of people knew that for a long time. And it was pretty surreal for me to step off that bird, say bye to a couple of my friends. And, you know, I'll see you in like a couple hours and saw the bird take over, over my head. And then it, it wasn't more than 10 minutes later than I was back looking at my ISR and, 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 and saw the repercussions of what we now know of extortion one seven. And what a tragedy that was, um, I'm just glad I didn't know that until now and you know yeah. I, I'm just now I know you know what that 31 mile hike meant to you and and what it means yeah, to but, a lot of people and, and it just uh you know it hits home because yeah. uh, you know things like that keep the memories alive so <laughs> we can never forget and so you know you're right there you're in the face of fire and and, and to lose friends like that is it's tragic sorry about that and yeah it's uh like I said, it took me, what, it's 2019. That was 2011. Yeah. I didn't share my story for eight years for a long time. You know, people deal with things differently and I didn't talk about it for a long time. And then I started going to the rock, not until like five years later, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any intention to want to go. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to do any of that. So that would be a point that I would share with anybody listening. And, you know, and I know you and I have talked in depth about a lot of things that you've experienced in your life too. And I'm sure your listeners are aware of that as well. And we all deal with things differently. And, they're part of what defines us, but it took me a long time to want to talk about that. And not until I started my own podcast and I was a hundred episodes in that I dedicate a whole, you know, 10 minute episode to my exact experience of which I've briefly described with you, but it, it did feel better to describe a little bit of it and, and share that story. Well, thank you. You know, is there, let me ask you this, you've been out now for a little over a year. Yeah, just about a year. Yeah, about maybe 15 months or so. So how long were you in that deployment in Afghanistan? So I, w- I went to, I mean, I deployed about four four times, but I was in Afghanistan, three separate deployments. If you had to do it all over again, would you? So that's a complicated question. Uh, there's a huge part of me that initially goes, absolutely, I, I love that job, but I will immediately follow that up with getting out of the Navy is one of the hardest decisions decisions I ever made in my life because- I loved that job. Like I said, it defined me as a person, as a man, as a human being. But as you mentioned in my biography before we started, was I'm, I'm a father now. So I'm a husband and I'm a father. And that experience that I had there on that first deployment in Afghanistan was double-edged in the sense of I wanted to 
carry on the mission and I wanted to be in the Navy for my entire career because of them. And, you know, like I said, carry on their mission. But then I met my wife, Jordan, and I wanted to have a family. And a lot of people don't understand it and haven't understood it in the past. But I left the military and I left special warfare specifically so that I could be with my family more because anybody that serves in that community knows that you're out of the you're, I mean, you're gone at least 200 days out of the year. So yeah, that, that was a big decision for me. Absolutely would be a, a tough decision. You know, we, we've met and talked to many uh, children whose parents were in the military, but we've also talked to many parents who had children and were gone quite a bit. And every single one of them, Chris, I got to tell you, says, my gosh, you know, looking back on it now, very similar to what you just said, you know, I wish that I had, could have spent more time with my kids and, you know, that's that's a big decision. And uh, and I think you made the right one for your particular case. And don't ever second guess it, brother. And I know you don't. So, you know, just proud that you're still here. And Jordan is a great person. And you guys are a great couple. And I haven't met the baby yet, but I've seen a few pictures. So, but she is. So, you know, and then that's cool. It's so cool to know that you guys made that happen. And I'm sure there's probably yeah. gonna be more down the road. But anyhow, so so you you made that tough decision and and you come back. Uh, I know you worked a little bit for Amazon. I know you're with Microsoft now. Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that transition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do want to say before I go on, there's plenty of men and women that serve that that do make it work and they're away from their families. And I, for one, that decision was the best decision for my family, as you mentioned. And, you know, I have the absolute respect for the men and women of our country that stay out there in the fight despite being away from their family because I know how tough it is I've, I've served with those men and women I can see how tough it is being away from them now being a father for the first time I, I, I understand so much more than I used to in the past I didn't I absolutely didn't so I just wanted to throw that in there no and I'm glad you did because it raises a good point you know there's and things that you know some of the civilian listeners out there may not understand that you know you uh, it's it's a risky business, the military, and people do raise yeah. that that right hand and and swear this oath, and 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 you go, you know, when you get the orders, you go, and the families back home sometimes uh, often get overlooked, not necessarily by the military, but but by sometimes we don't think about them, and, and it's the nature of the job, yeah, yeah, and so you know all the the focus is on the person who's been deployed and. Those families back home, you know, they have their own tribe. And gosh, without them, you could never function. And so it is important to, yeah. to remember that. And you made the right decision, man. You guys are an awesome couple. And, and <laughs> you know, you served your country with distinction. And and I, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. So, so Thanks, yes, sir. And, yeah, and so you got back and yeah. you're making this transition. What are you doing yeah. now? You know, tell us about that. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So I, as we said, I, w- I was in for nine years. The decision was was both difficult and not difficult at the same time because of the reasons we just talked about. But I'm the type of individual that is a planner through and through. I would say that I'm I take risk, but at the same time, if if you looked inside of my head for five minutes, you've seen that I have everything planned down to down to the very tip of it. So I got out in 2018, but I started already planning my separation at the latter part of 2015. So about two and a half years out, I already started planning for jobs. And I, I will say that anybody that's trying to transition out of the military or from one career to another, I, I really, I can, I'm full of gratitude for the people that I've met through my life because they helped me get into the door at these, these massive phenomenal companies. And you know, I was able to get hired a lot earlier at that first company that you mentioned because of of knowing somebody that I, I will say, like, you have to have, like, I had a resume and I <laughs> I went through interviews, but it, it definitely helps somebody say, like, you know, because there's a million resumes that hit people's desks, managers' desks, hire, hiring managers' desks and and recruiters. But if you say, if you have somebody on the other side that goes, well, look at this one, then you at least get it looked at, you know? So, I had met somebody at one of those commands that I had served at, and he helped me get my resume looked at. You know, the rest was on me, of course, uh, to prepare for that. But so I planned two and a half years, and I utilized uh, people that I had met. So I've always been somebody that uh, enjoys networking, talking to people, and keeping in touch with contacts. So I, you know, I was able to utilize that to secure my first job about six months out before even getting out of the military. So. A lot of people say it's it's stressful to transition, and 
I would say yes, it absolutely is. But I try to decrease that stress as much as possible. And uh, quite frankly, it was a relatively easy transition for me because I prepared so much. Like, for example, I mean, I'm kind of making it sound easy, but it, it really wasn't. It was it was really stressful up until then. So then, like the six months I knew I had the job was you know as easy as it could be. It was a walk in a the park. But before that, like my position, I went as an engineer at Amazon and. I don't have hardly any IT experience. I dabbled a little bit. So I was able to leverage skills, like a little bit of skills that I utilized in the military and leverage that coupled with experience to um, get through the interviews. But uh, so that, that was something where I had to teach myself Linux, for example, and I studied every single day for two years. You know what I'm saying? So like, absolutely, it was, it was easy the last six months because I, seven days a week, I studied Jordan helped me study every day, you know, flashcards. I, you know, I built a computer and put a Linux operating system on there and all, all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? So like I took a, a big risk on the outside and in my head initially, but when you see all the work that gets done behind closed doors, it wasn't a risk at all because I had everything planned as much as I could. And I did the same exact thing for this, this most recent job as well. That's awesome, you know, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out. So, you know, it's a good example for others that are listening that are getting ready to make that transition and you know, start thinking about your future because mm-hmm. uh, I've heard that many times from many transitioning veterans saying that, you know, we're driven by purpose and mission. And mm-hmm. when you get thrown out there, I'm not sure, you know, did you get enough uh, instruction about transition, do you think, from the Navy? So I will say that because I prepared so early, like my resume, everything was done very, very early. The Navy does have a transition class. The transition class was phenomenal. It was it was a week long. I just had already done everything uh, with the help of other people. I want to say like I didn't do this by myself. I had a lot of help from other people. So I had some really good people fighting in my corner with me to help me out. There's no way I could have gotten this job by myself. You know, my wife helped me study. My friend helped me get my foot in the door to get my resume seen. All all of these things. There's so many things behind the scenes, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's good planning. You know, I know that we've, uh, we have that drilled, you know, what is it? The five P's mm-hmm. prior planning prevents piss poor performance and, you know, yeah. and that can go a long ways, you know? And so I knew myself when I transitioned that I had a job waiting for me too. And mm-hmm. basically it was because of the network as well. You know, of course that yeah. was yeah. eons ago, but, but it can still be done. You're living proof. Mm-hmm. So Tell us about how you got to your podcast. And uh, I know it's been very, uh, very uh, successful. You've had lots of great guests. Tell us what you're doing with the podcast and how people can listen to that. Well, if you know, you remember and the listeners remember in the beginning of my story is when I was in boot camp, I I realized that I I did enjoy helping other people and it, it made me a better me. You know, I wasn't just thinking about myself like I had my entire life. So we flash forward to the latter part of my Navy career where I was at a shore command. And it was quite frankly, you know, you, you call tip of the spear at that first command. I was at the other end of the spear in, in my head. And we were a lot, you know, <laughs> I was uh, in a different position and it was difficult for me to go from special warfare to working at a shore command where you're essentially for anybody that's listening that doesn't know you're going into a building every day and you're doing office work and and maintenance on radios and things like that. So it was a little bit later in my career. So I was in a leadership position and I was actually in a leadership position for the first time. So I was actually, again, in my Navy career, a little bit depressed to be there. And I went into it with not a great attitude, to be frank with you. I went in with the wrong expectations, with low expectations and that I wouldn't enjoy it, which was the last time I'll ever do that in my life. Because even though I thought it wasn't going to be good, it turned out to be this phenomenal thing. It was an emotional roller coaster for me at first, having experienced everything I did at my first command. And then I got there and I was in charge of roughly 45 sailors for maintenance. You know, anybody that knows a work center supervisor, that's what I was for that uh, work center there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not too far up the scale, but I still was in charge of some people. And it was the first time that I'd been tested as a leader. And it was, um, it's, it's easy to lead. Like at my first command, there's, uh, like we said, people are screened there. It's relatively easy to lead people that want to be led. But where I excelled as a leader was there was a lot of people that just didn't really care about the mission, didn't really care about getting the work done, or just wanted to do the bare minimum. 
And there was a lot of issues outside just the normal job scope. So I had to not only learn to become a leader for the first time in this, like having a lot of people under me other than boot camp, because this is like actual work, right? So this was like the first time in my career, like six, seven, about seven years later. Right. And uh, so that was, I was able to um, pull a lot from that experience and, and grow again. It was one of the biggest um, growing experiences again in my life that I just, I never thought. So to me, like that lesson was, why the hell are you going into this the situation, ex- you know, with these poor expectations when you haven't experienced anything? You don't know anything about this place. You may have heard it. And it was one of those commands where people just go, oh, you're going there. And I just after having experienced this now, as I tell this story, I was just like, never again am I going to regardless of what people say about someone or something or somewhere or just anything, I'm going to come up with my own opinion on that. I'm going to give it a chance at first and more than likely there is something to be learned from that situation, regardless of that person or that place or that thing is described as less than favorable. There is more than likely something I can learn there. So I was able to learn how to be a good leader for people that there was a lot of people that wanted to be led there. There were people that wanted to just do the job and there were people that just, you know, dug their heels in like a mule and didn't want to do anything. So I was able to have this wide spectrum of individuals to attempt to lead and grow as a leader and uh, just continue to grow as a human being at that role. This is a lo- the longer answer to the podcast, but because of all those things that I described right there, and a lot of people were either complaining about what they were doing, didn't like the job. And then at the same time, as everything I just described, I was seeing a lot of people actually get out of the Navy unprepared. And I was also at the time thinking about getting out the Navy and be- eventually beginning my preparation to get out of the Navy throughout all of this. So with this whole thing I've just described to you, and I wasn't doing as good at mentoring people that worked in my work center as I wanted to be. Right. So it's like, how the hell can I be a better mentor to these people and just even impact more people than I can at this one place? So I said, you know what? And I'd always say, I said, listen, you raised your hand, you signed up for this, and this is ridiculous. You need to do your job while you're here. However, a contract ends and you can do whatever the heck you want to do. After that contract ends, whether you stay in the Navy or whether you get out, and if you're a civilian, you know you can start looking for a job right now, and you can do something else. I don't care. You always have the option to eventually do what you do, even or what you want to do, regardless of you being locked in. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? All these lectures that I'm trying to do, try to lead from or um, be a good leader and set the example, isn't working as well as I want to do. And I was tired of people just complaining and and doing all the things that I just said. So I was like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to just start interviewing people that are going out there and in pursuit of the career that they want or already doing the career that they want. And my stipulation was always that they are helping other people along the way as well. So I just started randomly interviewing people. You were the number six person that I interviewed. Which I remember that. It was a great show, too, even back way back then in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. And I was still growing as an individual then. And, And that podcast you speak about mentors. I just released my 115th guest today, and I've had 115 mentors, John. I've had 115 people that I've learned from, 115 stories that I've been able to share with now the world, with over 80 countries now the podcast has grown into, to where now people, military or not, are able to see these people that are going out there and subscribing to a growth mindset and just getting the heck after it. But not only are they doing that, but they are helping other people as well. I won't have somebody on my podcast that, you know, they can be an awesome person. They can, they can be doing great in their career. They can be doing what they love, but they have to be helping other people. And I always want to highlight that. So my mission and my plan always for the podcast was to use examples of other people going out there and getting after it and helping other people. And that happened four months before I got out of the military. That the start of the podcast was four months. I got out of the military And I just released, I have two segments now on the podcast. I just released episode number 186. And, you know, I haven't looked back, man. I haven't stopped. Well, congratulations. You know, I relish in your success because it's not easy to do a podcast. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, can be even the the technical stuff we had with this one right before we came on but but you know that that's awesome and and you're right they're all mentors and 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 I got to mm-hmm. say you know podcasters a lot of people doing them and I've read the other day where the average number of podcasts on a show before it goes I think is 13 or 14 shows so it's not many. you're yeah. in a very high percentage uh you're in the you're in the low percentage of people that have actually made them happen and 
Gosh, that's really cool, man. So, and I've listened to quite a few of them. I know I see them on LinkedIn quite a bit. I listen oh, yeah. as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, no, but they're good and, and they're great shows. So you, we, you have to listen to that show. But let me ask you this, you know, if the, what would you like the civilian world or before we get there, tell us about one of your guests that you've had that was really just, you know, really hit home with you. Gosh, that is, I get that question actually a lot from people. They go, oh, I just found your podcast. Who should I listen to? And I was like, gosh, I've had so many unique individuals, John, that it's it's very hard for me to answer that question. I think the most recent person to ask me that question, I probably gave him a list of 20 guests. Like, <laughs> because I have so many people from so many military backgrounds, from so many civilian backgrounds. And it's, it's I, I, I don't think I can genuinely give you a, an answer of, of one person because Every single person, and I mean this wholeheartedly, you know, not to be mushy or anything, but every single person can, has taught me something in, in one way or another, whether it be good or bad, like whether, because I don't always agree with everything that we talk about on the podcast and I have people that I, I, I disagree with and I think that's fine. I actually encourage my listeners on a regular basis to disagree with me. So to answer your question, I, I don't really have a favorite person, but uh, there are a lot of people that I've really enjoyed. Uh, one of the hardest guests it took me months and months and months and months to get was Grant Cardone. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a, a real estate guy and you know he's a massive net worth, but he has a I, he's very flashy on social media and some people from again from the surface um, are not huge fans of him, but I knew his background and I knew you was know, he, he, was a, he was a veteran. No. So he was a drug addict until he was 25 years old. Uh, and then he slowly got into real estate in his late twenties and then early thirties, he started being successful. And, uh, now he has a net worth of probably close to a billion dollars. But what I loved about his story was that, you know, he was an absolute shipwreck until 25. And it's so funny because three decades later now, you know, people see him, you know, and he is flashy, but after knowing his story, like I, however you want to spend your money, I mean, you worked hard for that, but that that was one of my it wasn't a, my favorite one but it was just one of the ones I worked hard for you talk about you it's so easy to say like oh 186 episodes but as you know as a fellow podcaster I, I have a day job I have a family and if I'm not doing those two things John I'm working on the podcast that's 7 days a week so it's it's not an easy thing and you know I don't get paid to do it but I I will say I get paid through having these conversations with people like yourself to me it's this thing that I've I've, I've kind of comedically uh, comedically coined as in um, this mental monetization to where I am able to learn from all of my guests, so I'm able to to continuously perpetually grow because of that. So def- definitely a, a lot of interesting guests, but everybody's taught me something. Well, that's you know that's a great value, and you know if people really take the time to listen, that's the. That's the heart of these shows. You know, when you're dedicated like that, you're going to naturally draw out stories that that are pertinent and that, you know, and I, and I love the fact that that you say, you know, you can learn something from everybody. We don't always have to agree, but yeah. and, and it's nice to respect the other side, too. And, and I and I, you know, you hear this all the time. The people that dislike or or, or make or pass judgment, they're always going to be like that. And you're always going to have those people. So. You know what we say, Fido, right? <laughs> we just or, or Lido, learn, improvise, and drive on. Sure, but but sure, sure, but sure. but anyhow, I appreciate that and congratulations again because I know it's not easy and you're putting out some good stuff. So yeah, brother, you're right there with me. You're well, up there. Well, thank you. We're 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 doing our best, <laughs> brother. So let me. Ask, so what do you want, having been in combat zone and and the harsh reality of losing friends? What do you want? the civilian world to know about veterans and especially combat veterans? Yeah, I think it Well, <laughs> everybody, regardless of being for deploying combat zones. I mean, of course, I think it's the inherent nature of that deployment that you're going to experience something, whether it be, you know, I don't know if that night I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to get hit by a random mortar that tears through the ceiling. You know, like that's so close things have happened like that. Or when I was in my first firefight, you learn things really quickly. How do you react to that? Did I have good enough training? all of those things. But what I've learned from all these guests, you know, if I can incorporate this question with your last one was regardless of being on the forefront of, you know, having being shot at like that, (laughs) I never thought I'd be in a situation to be like that, even though I was at that command. I mean, it's just not something I really thought of. But after talking to so many different guests, we all 
are living in a damn combat zone in one way or another. And our lives are so different. It's, it's hard for me after talking to 115 people to describe one situation that it may be perceived as being more difficult or having faced a lot more adversity or stress than the other, but that's just one person's opinion. And as hard as it can be, as hard as it can be for me to wrap my head around the, some of the things that I've experienced and some of the things that I see people complain about to me, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But for them, that might be the hardest thing they've ever experienced in their entire life. So I'm trying to be more objective about it and, and see it from other people's point of view to a point. So what I would want would for, for people to know from my opinion, my humble opinion, having served over there and experienced life or death situations or death situation <laughs> very close a few times is just that that exactly between the extrapolation between me being forward deployed, being shot at by all these things and people on the home front here experiencing you know their own adversity is that our own individual adversities are so damn unique and no no one is better or worse or harder or easier than the other we all face things in our lives regardless and i think i would just want people to understand that we all have this insane uniqueness about all of us and we all experience things so 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 differently than the other person because of so many other experiences we've had throughout our life to so to be more empathetic to other people in our lives and understand that you know people do deal some serious crap out for deployed and and see some really bad things and and it's it's really tough but at the same time i would i would i would take your question further and say it i would want military people to understand that there's a lot of a lot of bad shit happening on the home front too you know i wouldn't want to be a police officer i'll tell you that you know things like that or even things that you know we've talked about your experience in your life you know people experience those kind of things and um it's very, very, very interesting question that you've you've posed here, and I, I've enjoyed it. But I hope um, that that's the best way that I can answer that. I understand that's not like a specific answer, but that's the way I would answer. Well, no, it. it's it's definitely no, it's a good viewpoint because you know, and and I'm glad you pointed it out because trauma takes no prisoners. I read the other day where 72 yeah. percent of the people on this planet have been through one trauma or another, and and and, and you're yeah. right, Chris. It. it doesn't have to be combat or, or disfigurement from combat or it can yeah. be bullying. It can be divorce. It can be financial Absolutely. ruin. It can be all these other things. And that's that's why it's important for us to, uh, you know, the, the coolest thing that I've learned on the show is that I'm not alone and that, you know, that we we are faced in our lives with different things. And 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 you're right, man. I'm glad you pointed that out for the civilians because or for the military listeners, because We've all we're all in the combat zone. Some are just yeah, more man. dangerous than others. And that's a great viewpoint. So I'm glad you had that answer. Perfect. So let's just say, you know, I'm I'm male or female and I'm transitioning and I'm in a really dark place. And, you know, I've been out for a couple of years, maybe a year, you know, and I'm, and I'm in a bad place. What could you tell that veteran? I would say definitely don't give up hope. Uh, hope. Hope is one of the strongest things that I've been able to grasp on. But if y'all picked up when I was talking, I, I didn't do any of this alone. I had friends, I had support, but I also had the, I, I, I didn't ever stop. You know, I always worked hard to get something. So, you know, I think it's always possible to, to make a better situation for yourself, regardless of how hopeless it feels. I think regardless of the lack of hope in your life, you have to grab onto it and you have to want to try. And if you do really want to try, I am confident that you too can be confident and that you too can pull yourself up out of that rut. But it's going to take you actually verbalizing that. It's going to take you actually knowing that it's okay to ask for help. So asking help and building a circle of people in your life that you're okay with, and maybe not at first okay with you know seeking help, but eventually you'll understand to learn to trust people. You don't have to trust everybody, of course, but to trust people, to bring people that into your life that you know you can't do this alone. So to to hold on to hope, to bring people into your life, and to just be relentless about wanting to to do better for yourself. Because just because you're someplace in your life right now doesn't mean you have to continuously to be that in that in that place in, for the rest of your life or for as long as you want. And it may continue to seem hopeless even after you start. But I like comparing things to uh, the gym. So at first. 
you have to decide to go to the gym. And if you go to the gym one time, you're not going to see a difference. If you go to the gym a couple of times, you, you may feel a little bit different mentally, but you're probably still not going to see a difference. So you got to go a lot, right? So that's where consistency comes in, that repetition. Um, your friends in this um, example could be, you know, befriending somebody that's been doing it for a while, somebody that's maybe been in a dark place before. You mentioned we're, sh- you know, we're sharing stories. And that's one of the things I do is I find it very good to be able to share stories. That's one of the many reasons to answer your other question is why I want to do the podcast is to share other stories because we find, like you said, that we are not alone. So if you go out there and you voice that you are in this darkness or you do feel stuck or you are hopeless and you don't think you can get a job or you don't think you can even make a friend to even say this to, well, if you have that mindset, you're probably not going to do it. Because the mind is a more powerful thing than you think it is. So if you make up your mind that you're not going to have hope, that you're not going to be able to make friends, that you're not going to be able to get the job or whatever it is, then you're probably not going to get to do it or you're not going to be able to do it. But if you make up your mind that you're not going to lose hope no matter what, if you make up your mind that you are going to find friends, if you are going to be able to share your story and you know what, you're probably going to be able to help other people while you're getting helped yourself. And that's totally fine. That's an awesome answer. So, and again, everybody's got their own experience and, and we have to do what we have to do to move forward in our mm-hmm. lives. And, and, and the mindset is totally everything. Just like you said, putting your mind yeah. in the right place is going to get you the mm-hmm. things that you desire and it can help bring you out of that abyss. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's it, it helps, but it's going to take a lot of work. And I think it can be scary. It's of course it's scary, but if you continue to describe to the mindset that got you there. Like they say, you're going to continue to be where you're at stuck in that hole. So you really have to push past that mental adversity that got you there in the first place and really seek a way to do things differently. So you can dig yourself out of that hole. So you're going to have to do a lot of things that are uncomfortable because clearly you did a certain string of events to get you where you are now. And you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to have ownership of that. You're going to have to own that you got yourself there. And of course, I'm sure there's some examples of of people that, you know, there were some other circumstances. But for the most part, I would want people to take ownership of that. The things that they've done in their life have got them there. But the things that they do in the future can get them out of there as well. Great advice and good viewpoint. Let me ask you this, Chris. What does freedom mean to you? Oh, that's a good question, too. And I And I love this question. Freedom means to me exactly what we're doing right now to be able to discuss every single thing that we've talked about today. I feel so lucky. I feel so humbled and so blessed that you can even ask me that question on a podcast like this, that we can be able to have podcasts. Freedom for me means that we continue to have these conversations that I can make the choice to serve my country. I can make the choice to not serve my country. I can make the choice to talk about whatever I want and we talked about i encourage my guests to dis, or my guests and my listeners to disagree with me i think it's healthy to be able to do that freedom for me mean be the continuation of having these conversations over and over again regardless of how you know we are in agreement of it or not to be able to go out there and make the decision to have a family to to do all of the things that we've discussed in the entirety of this podcast that's freedom i i love being able to do that to be able to go after the jobs i want be able to meet the people like i want to do be able to express the freedom of how we met, the freedom to walk around the nation, the nation's capital and keep those memories alive. All these things in the entirety of which is your podcast is freedom to me. That's awesome, man. And I, I concur wholeheartedly. So there you have it. Chris Cockrell, United States Navy veteran, new father, out of the Navy now, but doing some great things with his podcasting and, and giving back to the community. And, and in a large way, his podcast is listened all over the world now. And He's zoning in on 200 guests. Very impressive. Let me ask you, Chris, how can people make contact with you if they're interested in hearing the show and how can they do that? But also, if they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So as I always say to people that have just met me, as John said, my name is Christopher Cockrell. The podcast that I host is the Christoph Lewis podcast. We didn't get into it, but my background, uh, my family is Hungarian and my mother calls me Christoph. And my middle name's Lewis, so it's a little bit more rare to have uh, Christoph <laughs> Lewis than it is some other guy named Chris for the 100,000th time. So Got it. my podcast is the Christoph Lewis podcast. That's K-R-I-S-T-O-F-L-E-W-I-S. That is also my handle on social media throughout at Christoph Lewis. And it's also ChristophLewis.com. So you can find my podcast, my Instagram handle. 
And honestly, I just I really enjoy when people reach out to me on Instagram or via the email on the website. And I just I love having the continuation. I like continuing this conversation that we had or continuing the conversations that I have on my podcast. But Instagram is probably the best way out of all of those. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that information. And, you know, really appreciate you, brother. It's amazing the people you meet at the end of these long rucks and so crazy. You're a class act. Jordan is a very she's a terrific woman and absolutely the the baby looks cool. And uh, I can just (laughs) say um, drive on, brother. I appreciate you being here on Straight Out of Combat Radio and look forward to our next meeting. Are you planning on going back to uh, the 31 miles again? I know I missed it last year. Yeah, I'll be going this coming year in 2020. I wasn't able to do it in 19. I had an injury that unfortunately surfaced from the Navy. I had a bad neck injury come up again, and I was out for seven months. Actually, just started working out again, but I will be going next year again. I'm training for it as we speak. Well, God willing, you know, I'll be there this year too as well. I was unable to make it last year too, but the two years prior where we met. So appreciate you, brother. Hope to hear from you and see you again. And um, God bless America. Yeah, John, I cannot thank you enough for being on here. I'm so glad that we finally made it work. I've thoroughly (laughs) enjoyed my time. The questions were phenomenal. Top tier. And uh, you definitely were able to get some great stuff out of me in the sense of like you ask good questions. And that's what I always try to do as a good host. I was like, it's, it's so hard to be a good host and you ask good questions and you're able to. The only reason I'm able to answer with good questions is because you're the host that allows me to be comfortable enough to share those things. So I, I really do appreciate that. Thanks. Well, thanks for pointing that out. But, you know, brother, you know that in order to, you have to have a good person on the show to ask mm-hmm. those great oh, questions. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah so it, it goes back the other way. So appreciate <laughs> you, man. I'll be talking to you soon. You gotta before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.